You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 45. A few minutes we'll be reading verses 6 and 7. But I have a question for you. Have you ever seen something so grand, so big, that it's hard to take in? sort of boggles the mind. Perhaps for you it was the Grand Canyon. Maybe you had a chance at some point to go north and see some of the glaciers that exist, these massive sheets of ice that creep along and carve out whole valleys. Uh, Maybe simply the ocean and its immensity, as you've thought about it, sort of gave you that profound sense of something way bigger than yourself. My favorite, stars in the night sky, or any number of things. But when when you encounter these things, and you start to think, well, you know, the North Star's up there, it's Polaris, and it's over 300 light years away, which means it takes light 300 years to get to us from Polaris. And you think, well, so the light I'm seeing now is the light that Polaris gave off 300 years ago, and Polaris has moved since then. We don't know, I don't know where it is. Some scientist does. But we're looking at light from where it used to be. It's light that Polaris gave off in the 1700s. Then you start to say, and then there's the whole rest of the night sky. I begin to feel very small when that happens to me. And I try to take in the outside world. The more I think about it and experience it and think about the scope of what I'm looking at and what it means, the bigger it sort of gets in my mind until it overflows any previous images or thoughts that I had about it. It blows my mind. It boggles my mind. You struggle to get your mind around what you're witnessing because the reality is now adding to or redefining or demolishing all your previous ways of thinking in the past, the way you had conceived of it in your brain. Well, we're beginning a new series that takes a look at God, who He is. And this series is going to run to Thanksgiving. We call it God Unedited. Because we're going to look at the Scriptures and what they say about God, the fullness of who God is. So it's God Unedited unedited because maybe some of you have the problem I do. I get too comfortable with God as I'm going through daily life. I'm not always keeping all everything that the Scripture says about God in my head. I sort of have a God that, that fits uh, my level of thinking as I go through the week. I'm secure in salvation. I know he's all-powerful. I know he's all-knowing. But the impact of that doesn't strike me any more than glancing at the night sky uh, makes me ponder just how big the universe is. And so I like to relate to things I already know and am comfortable with. So that inadvertently leads me sometimes, to in reality sort of walk through with an edited version of God, not really taking his fullness in. 
So we're going to talk about God and his attributes. We want to explore them fully, try to get out to the edges of his attributes, get a feel for their scope. Then when we see him up close and personal, we're going to be awed and maybe a little uncomfortable. It confronts the truth and makes us change our thinking. So we're going to look at this in this series that God, as he's revealed himself in the Bible, learn something new about him, maybe get a little uncomfortable, stretch our thinking. God unedited. Well, in today's message, we're going to talk generally about God and his attributes. The first thing that we're going to talk about here is God is unique. It may be self-evident to you. There's nobody else like God. And we cannot fully know him. We call that being transcendent. It's a big fancy word that basically means he's beyond our ability to know him fully because he's so different from us. Well, it starts with his names. You know, we read in the Bible uh, that God told Moses, I am. We find Jesus also answering the leaders of his day. Before Abraham was born, I am, the same term. Meant he was always, he was a fullness of being, always present for his people. There's no, in that there's no changing. There's, there's, he doesn't change at all. He's there. He is, he will be, he has been, he always is, the I am. The Lord God Almighty is another term we use. You know what almighty means, you kids. It means like nothing stronger, nothing's bigger. Isaiah also first mentions uh, that God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, in Isaiah 45 that I had you turn to, God says, there's no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Another verse from Isaiah about six or seven pages further, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. If you want to turn there, I have it up on the screen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, that heaven and earth uh, comparison. What he's really trying to illustrate is the difference between his thoughts and our thoughts are as big as the difference between maybe a human, you or I, thoughts and a mosquito's thoughts. Huge difference. God also exceeds the limits of ordinary experience in that he spans space and time. If you sit and think about that for a while, you'll be stretched in your thinking. He's unique. There's nothing to compare him to. There's nothing in our experience to relate him to. There's no metaphor that really works to understand God. He's unique. In addition to being unique, his attributes are perfect. The characteristics, the things that make up who he is, his personality, if you will, 
They're all perfect. They're complete. They're full. There's nothing lacking in any of them. He's the only one who can say this. You know, back at the turn of the 18th century, Louis XIV was the king of France. And he was uh, a dramatic guy. He chose the sun as his personal symbol. So throughout the palace at Versailles, you'd find the letter L and a sun symbol uh, representing him. He substantially reformed France's government into a more stable political body. So he really he had the, the axe to go behind uh, sort of his ego. But he did declare, I am the state. Uh, he was highly regarded for, his, uh, for what he did for France. Known as the Sun King, he was also called Louis the Great. Well, on September 1st, 1715, Louis the Great was dead, and they were holding the service for him. And the pastor that was in was Jean-Baptiste Massillon, and he delivered the eulogy for the late King of France. We know he began with a simple declaration. God alone is great, my brethren. Well, what legend tells us is that as these words echoed through the cathedral there, Massilion's audience jumped to their feet in disbelief. The sheer audacity of a preacher who would diminish the king's majesty at his own funeral shocked them. But Massilion told the truth. Nobody's great but God. God's the only one who's great. I'm just going to show you some of the attributes of God. Uh, A few of them are He's eternal. That's part of that, the first and the last, beginning and end. So he, he He was, existed eternally before creation, and He will exist after creation, outside of space and time. Now, we have eternal life little similar, but not exact. We have eternal life, which means that goes on forever, but we weren't from forever. God was from forever and to forever. Love, omnipresence, that's a big fancy word for everywhere at once. He's everywhere. He's here, and he's there, and he's down the street, and he's in another city, and he's in all the other churches that are meeting in his name. He's righteous and he's wise. Wisdom is another attribute. Each attribute is full and complete. Now, let me, as we make that statement, let's look at the implications. There's a few danger zones here, a few things we can do, a few approaches to God's character that are dangerous. One of them that people sometimes do is sort of they have a favorite attribute, Some will love that God is merciful, but dislike that he's righteous. You know, we don't get to pick and choose which of God's attributes we like, and we're not, we don't, we can't ignore others. God is all of his attributes. Some people like to think in terms of a mix of attributes. God is part love and part holiness with a dash of grace. He is love. He is holy. He is gracious. Each attribute alone is complete, perfect, and full. His character has no limits. 
And then some like to think of a balance of attributes. So we, we, have, uh, we have God who is fully merciful and fully just. Some people might say that the God of the, Old, the New Testament, the God of mercy, trumps the Old Testament God of justice. Well, it's a mistake to assume that God merely balances His justice and mercy. God's not the happy middle between two attributes. He is fully merciful and fully just. When we get this wrong, bad theology is born. When we look at the cross of Christ and look at Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, we can see both of these particular attributes at play. These are our segments from verse 21 and 25, Romans 3. The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He Uh, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So he expressed both attributes fully. He was fully just. He didn't uh, balance that justice with his mercy. He was fully just. And Jesus bore the results of that justice. And he's merciful in providing Jesus to do that. So he's fully merciful and fully just. How cool is that? There's a final error we should avoid. The temptation to view one attribute as the primary attribute. I heard once that some consider holiness as God's main characteristic. And that is just... And and so... Uh, attributes like justice are best understood as holy justice. Love is best understood as holy love. Goodness is best understood as a holy goodness. You get the picture. But be clear on this. God, God's attributes are fully expressed by their own characteristics. There's no modification that limits any of them. God's love is not just a holy love. It is the best love that has ever been, the most complete, full, ultimate, incredible love that has ever gone by the name love. Same for all the characteristics. His wisdom is the best wisdom there's ever been, complete, full, ultimate, that has ever gone by the name wisdom. I'm taking nothing away from holiness. It is full and complete attribute in its own right, but it's not a modifier. Here's another chart that suggests that love is the main attribute, and the other attributes sort of uh, are arrayed around it or um, interpreted by it. Fully perfect in all attributes. You want to stay away from anything that limits his attributes. They're each full and complete. You know, after a long absence from the stage, pianist Vladimir Horowitz 
who was, uh, many think to be the greatest pianist that ever lived, was, he was to perform in Chicago in 1985. Franz Moore, the chief concert technician for Steinway and Sons, was assigned to make sure the piano was in perfect condition. He did so to the best of his ability and wasn't able to relax until uh, Vladimir had played through his first number and given a brilliant rendering of it. As was his custom, the, piano, the pianist left the stage, but then didn't return. Moore was summoned backstage. Where have you been, exclaimed Horowitz. I cannot play again. The piano stool is far too high. Moore nervously inquired as to the size of the problem. Horowitz held up his hand, his thumb and forefinger about a quarter inch apart. You know, true perfection is elusive for humans. However, God is perfect to the smallest detail every time. You know, speaking of how God surpasses anything known to our human experience, I have one more thought. And this does a nice job of summing up the realities of who God is. And that is, God is better than our best thoughts. You know, I have never had a thought about God that is better than God actually is. My best thoughts are always, to some degree, inaccurate, limited, and unworthy of the God I'm trying to imagine or trying to talk about. I cannot overestimate any attribute of God because each overflows far beyond the limits of human understanding. As we said, God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts as far as the heaven is from the earth. <clears throat> that's, the <clears throat> that's the distance between our thoughts and his thoughts. God is better than our best thoughts. As we've talked about the uniqueness of God, spent some time looking at his attributes as a whole, and concluded with at least trying to explain just how far beyond understanding he is, uh, what should we conclude from this? First, we need to continue to pursue our relationship with God. That might come at a cost, might come with some effort, but we should do that. Jesus said to his disciples at one point, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip, trying to get all this straight, that's not in scripture, but Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet... Have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Seen the Father, well, he's not talking about the Father looks like him, Jesus. Father doesn't look like Jesus as he walked around uh, during his ministry. It's not some physical body or some feeling, but the disciples have heard what Jesus has said during these three years of ministry. They've seen what he has done. They understand his character, at least somewhat. That's what Jesus meant. God reveals himself in the Word, the Word Jesus. He also reveals himself in the Word, the Bible. 
That's how we get to know his character. We need to continue that pursuit of learning more about him. Secondly, understanding that knowing God, we need to understand that knowing God means we have to change. A transformation away from our attributes toward his. We have some attributes he doesn't have. We need to get rid of those. And the attributes we have that are in the same category as his, if we had a bar chart, you know, his would be at 100% and ours would be down here somewhere. And we need, those attributes need to change. They can only change as we get to know him. That's what being transcendent does. That's what seeing the Grand Canyon does. It forces you to take in a new reality. So as we read God's Word and He reveals Himself in there, it's going to force us to see a new reality. It's going to force us to change, even if it's a little bit, but to change what we think and how we interact with Him. You know, I I don't know if you read any of this or heard about any of this, but there was a recent interview with uh, Justin Bieber where he said he just wants to follow Jesus. And um, there's a pastor, uh, Michael Brown, who wrote an open letter to Justin Bieber. It was published uh, maybe before this, but certainly on September 30th. And part of the letter goes like this. I can tell you, based on 44 years of experience, that there's no greater joy, no greater inner harmony, no greater fulfillment, no greater peace than living to please God. From the outside, religion looks like drudgery, a bunch of religious traditions put together by religious people who just want to make everybody else as miserable as themselves. I hate that form of religion too. But from the inside, when you really come to know the Lord, you're exploding with life. Love so amazing you want to pinch yourself to see if it's real. Joy so intense you feel like you're going to burst. And a sense of purpose and destiny beyond anything you've ever known. Have you experienced what I'm talking about? Have you ever known beyond any possible doubt that your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and because you've turned away from those sins? The guilt is totally gone and you stand absolutely clean in God's sight. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by God's love that all you can do is love Him back with tears of gratitude? You know, I don't agree with everything that Michael Brown writes in his letter. But in this section, he's put his finger on the fact that encountering the transcended God brings change. You can't encounter a transcended God and not be changed by the experience. You know, I've tried to stay away in this message from language that suggests that we need to be moved emotionally when we encounter the transcendent God. Emotions get involved. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to understand who God is in a clearer way, to respond to his invitation, to believe on him for life eternal, and believe on him for his power, and then continue to get to know God better and better, having our character changed as we pursue him. Certainly the first thing we can do is ask him to reveal himself to us so that we can be more like him. God rewards the diligent seeker. Get more into the Bible. We have groups that meet 
to do Bible study here. You can see me, you can see Julie, <clears throat> you can see Bill, uh, uh, Bill Smith back in the corner, and uh, to, to find out how you can get involved in one of those. But you know, the amazing thing is not that we change, but that the tr- transcendent God, the unique God, who's perfect in every attribute, would decide to stoop down and love us. God puts it like this in Isaiah 57. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that in spite of being who you are, you take notice of us. We love you for that. We are so thankful to you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.